Good morning, First Baptist Godly. Good to see you today. So good to be in God's house. The, the weather is so beautiful. I hope you're enjoying that. Uh, but as we begin this morning, I want us to call attention to the Word of God. And I want to share a word of Scripture uh, with you. It's one of my favorite texts. It, it sets the mind toward God, and that's what I want us to do today. Uh, throughout all that we're going to do and say today is to set our minds on things above. The psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Isn't that a peaceful thought? of God's care and concern for each of those who follow him with a whole heart. And might we do that? Might we seek to do that? To put him first, to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength, uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to go and share the word that he's given to us, knowing that we're in his care. Father, we thank you for your word. It calls us to a higher thought life. As we think about who you are, your grandeur, your splendor, your majesty, your glory, your love, your grace, your mercy, your justice, your righteousness, uh, Lord, uh, all thoughts that, that draw us up. Help us to have that mindset uh, as we live in a, in a world that's fallen. Uh, to think of what is possible, to think about what you can do and what you will do in and through each of us as we surrender our hearts to you today. Father, we lift up our church to you. We lift up those that are in the hospital. Uh, special prayers this morning for, for Dennis Payne and for uh, Delbert Davis and also for Diane Payne who's suffering with uh, the results of COVID and, and her mother also with the flu. And Lord, there are many others that you're aware of and we just lift them all up to you. We pray for healing. We just pray that you will make them whole. Lord, we lift these things up to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My wife is on an airplane on our way home from Denver. What that means is you get me this morning. And what that means is you get two hymn Sundays in a row. <laughs> and, and Becky has put the hymn numbers up even, so you can use your hymnal if you want to. But join us with singing, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. Stand, please. Jesus came into my 
wonderful singing here this morning. Lord, we want everything that we do today to be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you greet your brothers and sisters here this morning, please? Okay, as you make your way to your seat, uh, Jason Hardcastle is going to come up for the first announcement here this morning. see the fellowship, but we need to make a few announcements if we can real quick.
I just wanted to make a real quick announcement. Uh, as you know, in, in uh, our day and time, marriages are under attack, and we started a ministry a few months ago called Reengage. And tonight we are celebrating our first group who has completed the, uh, the course. And what we would like to do is invite all of you at 5.30 this evening to a celebration of these couples who have made a commitment to marriage, who are working hard on their marriage, and, and they want to share just a, a snippet of their testimony of what God has done in the, in the past few months. And they would love to share it with, uh, with anyone who's interested in the ministry, anyone who wants to come and just support them. And if you have family or friends or anyone who uh, may be struggling in their marriage, invite them, come with them, bring them, and let them see uh, what the Lord can do in restoring marriages and, and restoring hearts. And so that's, again, at 5.30 tonight. You're all invited. Just come on and, and celebrate with these couples. Thank you, Jason. I'm not going to read every announcement that's in here, but I'll point out to you in the blue section on the second page, there's a lot of events that are happening. And uh, then on the back in the yellow section, there are a list of events all the way out to August the 7th. Anybody know what August 7th is? First day of school. All right. <laughs> Uh, I will point out to you one, one thing in that list, and that is the second thing there says March 24th, we're going to have a Guatemala interest luncheon. This is uh, to uh, prepare, to inform, to let people know, anybody that's interested, about our mission trip to Guatemala, which will be uh, officially, it's uh, July 7th through that week, that entire week. We actually end up leaving a little early in order to work out schedule to be picked up at the airport and everything. But uh, we will go to minister to the Eagle's Nest Children's Home. And uh, Debbie and I are, are friends with the people who operate that children's home. And we go down there and spend a week doing whatever they need us to do. Uh, last year, uh, the ladies painted an office space. They played with children a lot. And uh, Bill Henry and I built a, a crib, a crib that's as big as a twin bed uh, for one of the special needs children uh, that they have, that they expect to have for a long time. So we lift them up and uh, support them in this, in this mission trip. So if anybody's interested, Please come, we'll feed you some pizza, and we'll give you a lot of information about the trip, okay? Now join with us in singing some more. We're gonna sing Because He Lives, it's number 407. I'm sorry, we just did 407 Because He Lives. <laughs> how about how great thou art? Stand, please. Oh, Lord, my God. Then sing. 
forward, please, for the offering. to worship you, to uh, lift our voices to you, and to, uh, to sing these songs, Father, that uh, we know are, are a small offering. But as we offer this uh, offering today, we ask that you would bless it, that you would use it for, um, for your purposes. Lord, the, the purpose of, of spreading the gospel to those around us. We thank you for um, the gifts that you have given us, we ask that, uh, that as we return these to you, Lord, that you would um, see them also as our worship. Father, I ask that you would be with Dave as he brings the message today, that you would speak through him, and that uh, our hearts would be prepared to hear from you and not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've been taught how to talk to you Hold it together, make the bad look better Say all the words that I'm supposed to Bow my head, say amen, yeah that'll do Making every dead end look like heaven Like being okay is the way to reach you But you're not afraid of all the things I feel being real you want my tears every messy word every scar and every fear you want all I have with no holding back when I'm hurt at my worst you meet me there you still see the beauty Cause all of my edges, they're a little rough But that's all I've got to bring Cause you're not afraid of all the things I feel Don't have to hide the scars that still aren't healed You want my tears Every messy word, every scar and every fear You want all I have with no holding back Desperate cry in a dark place You take me that way All of me You want my tears Every messy word Every scar and every fear 
Sissy's got the children this morning. We'll give y'all a chance to head that way. So this morning I want us to kind of come to some wrap-up comments here in the book of Philippians. And then after that we're going to move toward the cross. But I want you to be thinking good thoughts this morning. I've uh, titled a sermon toward that direction focusing on good I think we need that how about you in a world where we hear so many negative things and we hear so many unseemly things it is good to focus our minds on the good in 2003 there was a movie came out uh, titled uh, Seabiscuit it's based on the novel by uh, Lauren Hillebrand and the movie has some sadness in it. But still, it challenges the human spirit uh, to seek for that which is greater, something uh, greater to achieve. Uh, it challenges the human spirit to see that even in the hardest of times, uh, one can overcome uh, that which seems insurmountable. It's set during the Great Depression, a time of great sadness and hardship. And though the title would make you think it's all about horse, it's a horse, it's really about much more than that. It's about overcoming those things that are difficult in life. And, and of course, there are many difficult things that we all have to overcome uh, throughout our lives. But many times loss great loss can be hard to deal with when you hear the title of a, a movie about a horse it makes you think it's all about a horse but it's really about many other things it's about a man for example who overcomes or seeking to overcome the loss of a child a very difficult kind of thing i'm not sure if a person ever really gets over that it's also about a boy seeking to overcome having to leave home early. They just didn't have enough food to, to feed everybody. And his daddy says, you need to go if you're going to have a better life, and you need to go make your, your own way, way before his time. But, of course, it's also about a horse, a smaller horse, who's able to race against much bigger horses and win. One of my favorite scenes in that movie 
is when they bring Seabiscuit out to a racetrack. He's newly acquired by the owner. And he's been laying around in the pastures for a couple of years, just kind of, you'll see horses out in the pastures and on a beautiful spring day, you'll see them frolicking around and running. So they bring old Seabiscuit down to the track and they set him off to running. Well, he runs to the left, he runs to the right, he's sort of weaving all over the place. And the owner looks at the trainer and he says, is he fast? He says, yeah, he's fast in all directions. <laughs> and you know, the truth of the matter is, our minds can be kind of like that, can't they? Sometimes they just run full throttle. You ever find your mind just, just going, 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 and it's just kind of going in all directions? I think that's common to all of us. In our text for today, Paul's going to instruct believers to focus their minds on particular things. Focus their minds in a, a particular direction. Now, he, he's talking specifically here uh, in this text to the believers at Philippi. But really, he's speaking to all of us, these things. For what a person thinks about has a power to affect every area of their life. The famed poet Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote these words. He said, throw a thought, you reap an action. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. How true that is. In other words, what you think about will reveal itself in the person that you ultimately become. Now, I would say that's quite powerful, what you think about. Researchers tell us that we've scarcely begun to understand the human mind. And as we look at all the commercials that are on TV for politics right now, we could say they definitely are not seem to be using their minds, right? It all can't be true, can it? No. Our minds are capable of far more than we might imagine. Scientists tell us that the human brain has 12 to 14 billion cells. And each one of those cells is connected by these tentacles to about 10,000 other cells. And they've compared it to a hundred giant switchboards, the human mind, like a, like a hundred giant switchboards running full throttle all the time, enough to power New York City and run all the information for New York City around the clock 24 seven. That's quite amazing, isn't it? All in your mind, in your brain. Now, of course, due to the fall of the nature of mankind, not only is there great potential for good, but there's also great potential for evil in every mind. So we see that war going on. We see it going on in society, and sometimes we find it warring against ourselves, the good and the bad. And that's why it's so important, so important for us to focus on things of God. You see, back of everything that Paul says in this letter to Philippians is the idea of putting on the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you. And then he begins to flesh out what that looks like. And ultimately what it is, it's the mind of Jesus Christ. That's okay, we'll let you get that shut off, not a problem. You see, our minds have the capacity to deal with that, don't they? To multitask. But if you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 4, 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And once again, keep in the back of your mind, let this mind be in you. And also the word that Paul repeats more than one time, uh, he says, the Lord is near. Okay. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, or whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now think with me for just a moment. When you get up tomorrow morning and you got that cup of coffee and you turn on the news, are you expecting to see that? Probably not. Even the guy who does the traffic will be lamenting over the fact that there's a wreck. So we're not used to it. We have to train our minds toward that. And that's what Paul is wanting to do. He's teaching these believers at Philippi to focus their minds on truth and on other godly virtues, things he calls praiseworthy. Now, what I want us to do is spend the, the lion's share of our time this morning in this verse looking at things that are true. Okay. Because all of the other virtues uh, that spring forth are founded in truth. And, of course, God is the originator of all absolute truth. Now, there are many slight truths. There are many false truths. Uh, there are little uh, bent truths. But real absolute truth is founded in him. So, with this in mind, let's consider this phrase that Paul mentions, meditate on these things. That word meditate comes from a Greek word uh, that means to dwell on, to dwell on. Uh, it can also... Uh, mean to evaluate, to consider, to calculate. In other words, give serious thought to these things of God. And you'll also notice there in the text uh, the form in which it's stated. It's stated as an imperative command. It's not the first time in this letter that he's given uh, these things in the form of command because he also said, be anxious for nothing. In other words, stop worrying about all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, and all these things will be added unto you. Quit worrying about things that you have no control over. It's in the form of a command. But now he says meditate. It's also given in the form of a command. In other words, these are not helpful hints. Uh, this is not the power of positive thinking kind of, of preaching uh, that Paul's doing here. He's saying, look, if you're going to live the Christian life, these things need to be true of you. You need to get serious about doing these things. And I'd say that that's, that's uh, important for us to see. When these qualities are added to a person's character, they become more like Jesus. And so he's calling for Christians to discipline their minds as they focus on godly things. Now, of course, you know that we live in a society that's pretty free willy-nilly. And there's not a whole lot of focusing of the minds that goes on sometimes, is it? Matter of fact, most of our entertainment industry is designed for you to let your mind go, right? But here he's calling us to focus our minds. It's interesting to note that these same virtues were seen by the pagan world in Paul's days as qualities worthy of striving for. The average bear on the street, even though they were lost and didn't know Jesus, thought these were good things. 
The problem was that they couldn't attain them. And the reason why they couldn't attain them is because they were not in Christ. You see, it's impossible for someone who's cut off from Christ to have this kind of mind in them. It's by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, and having his Holy Spirit come and dwell within you that makes it possible to put these things on. But they're not automatic. There, there needs to be some discipline involved in putting these things on. But for the non-Christian, they're not attainable. You see, the Scripture teaches the mind without Christ is a fallen mind. And that means that uh, the mind without Christ is often focused on the flesh, uh, or what I want. And I want what I want, and I want it now. You've probably been there. It's often foolish in its thinking, futile in its thinking, uh, which Romans 1 also says. They were given over to futile thinking. And of course, those without Christ uh, are hardened to spiritual things. And they're blinded by Satan. It's impossible to have these qualities without Jesus. And therefore, we see that Paul is not out in the marketplace declaring this message. He's writing these things to the church, to those who have Jesus in their life. And with these things in mind, what does he say? Well, he gives us six areas of thought to consider, to think about. Uh, sort of a representative list. I don't believe it's exhaustive, for there are many other qualities of God that he could have written about. But they are a good general uh, sum of the things we ought to be thinking about. You see, for every godly virtue, there's also an opposite. Because we have an enemy. And the enemy likes to distort that which God has made good. Amen? And so, therefore, for every truth that's stated, uh, Satan has a lie. He, he seeks to deny truth and to distort and twist uh, the truth. For every noble idea, he, he suggests a shameful idea. And for every justice and injustice. And for that which is pure, he breeds impurity. And for every lovely thing, he suggests something ugly. And for every commendable thing, uh, he suggests things that ought to be denounced. And so we see this, this going on in our world, this war, between that which is good and that which is evil. And some people allow the enemy to direct their thoughts. Uh, they live thinking dark thoughts. You've ever heard someone uh, say that a person has a gutter mind? That's what this is talking about. An example would be Noah. You remember Noah? You remember God told him to build that ark? And you remember all of the other people that were on the, uh, the planet at that, that time save his own family? They just thought dark things all the time. The Bible says that they thought about sin all the time, evil, 24-7, didn't think about anything good. Can you imagine how terrible it must have been to live in those days for a righteous person like Noah to have a live amongst that people for so long? And I got a newsflash for you. We're living in those kind of times too. And each, as each day progresses, it becomes more and more evil, and more people are thinking about evil than they ever have before. And so the challenge to think positively about God is that much harder. A lot of what is produced by Hollywood today 
uh, is made to appeal to the darkened mind. It's just pure and utter trash. How else could one say that a television show that degrades humanity is entertainment? It's hard for me to imagine how something degrading could be seen as entertainment. And somebody was uh, posted something, a response to something uh, that was posted here in town about some kind of gentleman's review coming to a restaurant in Godly. Folks, I never thought I'd see the day that a general gentleman's review, in other words, a bunch of half-naked men would come to a restaurant in Godly for women to gawk at. That's, that's degradation at its finest. That's a darkened kind of a thing. Shameful. Shameful. But you'll notice that when a cataclysmic event occurs that shows humanity at its worst, that all the news stations will stream it nonstop for you to see and for you to behold. And if we're not careful, our minds can be continually bombarded with lies and injustice and things of ill report and impurity. And Satan uses that trash to, to get believers sidetracked. And therefore, we have to have a continual effort to stay focused on the things of God. We need to continually refocus to have the mind of Christ. But with these things said, what does Paul begin with? He begins with the truth. The believer is to focus on things that are true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to live a life that's focused in the truth and on the truth, the best place to start is with Jesus, the embodiment of truth. Set your mind on him. Focus your mind on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I believe it can actually be a good thing to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? You know, there was a big campaign that came out quite a few years ago called, What Would Jesus Do? You remember? And they even printed it up on uh, bracelets. WWJD. And, of course, somebody always has to make a buck off of something. And it kind of be, became cliche, and it kind of went away. But I think it's actually a good thing to do. But, you see, to answer that question, you'd have to get in a situation where you're focused on him enough to have his mind in you. And you'd have to actually know him, not just know about him, right? There are a lot of people who know a lot about him, but they just don't know him. And they're not in a relationship with him. And so, therefore, they couldn't know how to respond. Now, when we do get into the pages of Scripture, we see Jesus interacting with people. And we see that Jesus does not interact with different people in the same way. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how he doesn't deal with, say, a religious man named Nicodemus the same way uh, that he deals with a woman caught in adultery? Or a woman coming out to draw water, a, good, a Samaritan woman at the well. He meets each person where they are. And he always responds with truth. He calls the truth what it is, but he does it in love. He does it in grace. 
he does it with mercy. We need to get that into our hearts and minds so that we'll know how to respond when we encounter people that need Jesus. We need to look at his relationship with his father, uh, the things that he says, his actions, uh, his teachings, his miracles. When Jesus was praying for his disciples near the end of his earthly ministry, it's found in John, uh, a major portion of it's in John 17. And he says in his prayer, your word is truth. And he says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You see, the truth has a cleansing effect. When you hear the truth, the Holy Spirit convicts your heart of sin that needs to be confessed. And when you confess it, he, he cleanses it. That truth has a cleansing effect. And when you set your mind to learn about Jesus, you'll see truth in action. And you'll learn how to live in a world uh, that's been made filthy and dirty and rotten by sin. And to come out of it without all that stuff on you. To live a life that, that, that's clean. Unfortunately, today, many people will buy into just about anything. Uh, many people today can't discern the truth from a bald-faced lie. Years ago, we lived in Georgia. And one of the things Lisa and I like to do in those days is we'd like to listen to Clark Howard's show. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Clark Howard. If you're not from Georgia, you may not have heard of him. But in the afternoon, uh, he has a show, and people call into the show, and they get all kinds of financial advice. They get tips on places to go for vacations to save money. And he has a slogan that he puts on the show every day. It says, helping you save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. And you can imagine the appeal of in a show like that. But I remember this one lady that called in, and she was wanting to know if it's okay for her to send $39.99 to a company that was going to help her start a new home business. And all of a sudden, sirens started to go off. Whoop, 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 whoop. And then a dive bomber. That was a sign that she was about to get ripped off. You see, she wanted it to be true. She knew it was too good. If, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it ain't true. And you see it all the time, more and more. But people want it to be true. But you know, the reality is, is that people are starved for truth. And they're not sure how to discern the truth. You'll remember it was Pilate, the Roman governor, when faced with the innocent Lord Jesus, whom the Jews wanted to crucify, who asked the question, what is truth? And here is Jesus, the embodiment of truth, standing right before him, and he has no idea. People today are asking, what is true? Students today are asking, what is true? What's the truth, adults? Hey, adults, what's the truth? We want to know it. As a matter of fact, many are skeptical. They're suspicious. You know, you don't have to get burned too many times before you get suspicious and skeptical. And so people are often skeptical today because they don't know the truth. We live in an age of relativism. Well, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Let me tell you about my truth.
Friends, I want you, there's only one absolute truth, and it comes from God. And you can make up something, dress it up, call it what you want to. You can say it's your truth, but if it's not God's truth, it's not true. No matter how many times you tell yourself, it is. One of the champions of truth and absolute truth and teaching it is a man named Josh McDowell. He was once an atheist. He was searching for the truth. And when he looked at the facts of history and he looked at the person of Jesus Christ and those who walked with him, he became convinced that Jesus is the truth. And matter of fact, he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In other words, you look at the truth and it demands an answer. It demands for you to make a decision about right and wrong, about what is truth and what's untruth. It demands that you make an, uh, 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 a decision about Jesus Christ. And he's so... Uh, uh, concerned that people know the truth that he's made it part of his life's mission to go to places where students are and even on college campuses to tell them about the truth so that they can know several years ago he was invited to give the concluding remarks at safe sex week at a campus a college campus in North Dakota and so they had all these speakers that came in for the week talking about safe sex, okay? And this is how he began his remarks. You've been brainwashed. Well, you can just imagine how that went over. Uh, there was quite a little uproar in the crowd, and so he waited for everything to subside. He says, when the students settled down, I continued. You've had an entire week of safer sex indoctrination. Speakers, experts, videos, films, classes, and symposiums. You've been challenged, motivated, encouraged, indoctrinated, and pressured about using condoms to ensure safe sex. And to top it all off, you were given a safer sex packet. But you've been lied to. Now, at this point, the crowd was becoming a little indignant with me. And then I lowered the boom with one more question. After all the information on safer sex that you've received this week, how many of you know the statistical failure rate of the condom? Not one hand went up. Suddenly, the auditorium was quiet as a cemetery. They looked at each other with expressions of astonishment, and they realized they hadn't been told the whole truth about safer sex. And, of course, we live in a day and age when anything goes in that realm, right? And today we see fewer and fewer people getting married, but they just live together, okay? And many of them have no idea where their partners have been. The founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, Bill Bright, wrote these words. He said, what comfort is the lie of safe sex to the young man who contracts gonorrhea or to the young woman who develops herpes? or to the newborn who's born with AIDS. Telling incomplete truths can change a life or cause death. It's vital that we know and tell the absolute truth. I think there's a good reason why Paul started right here. Because everything else flows from it. You got to know the truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know the truth about him, You'll know the truth about yourself, that you need a Savior. And when you confess to him the truth about yourself and your sin, you know what happens? He sets you free.
the truth will set you free. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He, he moves on. He says, think about the truth. Think about uh, things that are noble. Think about things that are honorable. And the word he uses in this text is used elsewhere in the New Testament, normally to describe people in, in positions of leadership in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, as a matter of fact, he talks about it. He uses the same word. In Titus, uh, when it's talking about church leadership, it's talking about uh, this word, noble. It refers to uh, things that lift the mind above the world's dirt and scandal. And I believe that leaders in the church should do that, that we're called to do that, to get people thinking toward the things of God, to not only make an effort ourselves to do it, but to lead others to do it. And what that means is you're going to have to purposely be careful what kind of media you allow to come into your mind. You can't just throw open the floodgates whether it be from television or movies or internet or even conversations. And sometimes those conversations will be with other Christians. And you might just have to kind of pull back from that discussion if you hear something that you know is not on the up and up or something that is not of God. It'll require you to make a choice that's opposite of what most people in our world think is okay. And so you'll sort of be like a fish swimming upstream. You're going against the flow. And Paul also says we need to focus on things that are just. Now that's a big one. That's a big one. It's pretty straightforward, but it's not easy to do. We're to focus our minds on things that are right, things that are righteous, things that, that are fair. And that's why it is important for us to be careful what we listen to. Because everything that is reported in the media today is biased. There is no unbiased news that you can listen to. It's either going to be coming from the far right or the far left. It's very rare for you to hear someone just state the facts. There's always commentary. Always someone with an agenda trying to pull you in one way or another. And many times, the way it wants you to go is a way that is not just. Not just. On this earth, you and I observe a mere semblance of true justice. We really do. No, what we see every day is a perversion of justice. Don't believe me? When's the last time you saw a CEO of some big business getting a really big bonus while the investors and the retirees lose their shirts. You ever seen that happen? You know what that is? That's injustice. But we see it all the time, don't we? We see government bailing out big banks that they say are too big to fail and always trying to make regulations to protect them while everybody else loses their shirt. That's not justice, but that's what we see. We see society turning their backs on the poor. We see society uh, turning their backs on those that are homeless and hungry and sick and jobless. Now, here's the thing, folks. God hates that. He hates it. He hates it when he sees those who practice it. You know why? Because he's just. 
It's part of who he is. And so if you and I are going to put on the mind of Christ, we need to be just too. And we need to be just in our dealings with other people. That's what God expects from us. And I believe sometimes the reason why Christians get a bad rap is because they go out and they live just like the rest of the world and they don't treat people with justice. And they don't treat people in a fair way. And sometimes we demand our rights because we're Americans and we think we're entitled to them instead of putting on the mind of Christ and living in truth and justice and righteousness and being a good witness. God is just. Moses, the Bible says, was one of the most humble persons who ever lived. In his day, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You know what he said about God? Listen to what he said about God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Isn't that a great word? Aren't you glad God is just? It's what we ought to shoot for, isn't it? Now, do we attain it? Not always. We fail, don't we? We're imperfect. But he loves us and he shows us grace and mercy. Now, if we were to sit around and think about all the injustice we see every day, guess what? We'd be angry and bitter all the time, wouldn't we? But rather, if we go forth every day and say, how can I live in a right way today? And how, how can I put God's righteousness and truth in my heart? Well, you know what that'll do? Other people will see it. And you know what'll happen? It'll give God glory. And they will see that there's something different about you. And what that different thing is, is God in your life. As you try to put him into your thoughts. And to ask him to help you do it. But that's not all. For Paul continues, he says, focus your minds on things that are pure. Now, folks, do we need that today? It's the word hagios, which means holy. Focus your minds on things that are holy. For as Christians, we've been set apart uh, to do his will. In the Old Testament, if a thing was made holy, it was separated unto God for his purposes. And there were various ways that things could become unholy and defiled. And normally what would take place is there would be some type of sacrifice that was made for something to be declared holy again. And sometimes there would be a waiting period. And then it could be useful. It could be a ceremonially clean again. Now the good news for us as Christians is that Jesus Christ has gone to the cross and made that ultimate one-time sacrifice to make us like him. He took our sin, we received his righteousness. When he sees us, he sees his righteousness. And he calls us to walk in it, to live pure lives. Once again, Bill Bright writes, sin and darkness always seek refuge in darkness. But God's holy radiance exposes and destroys the darkness of sin and evil. Paul writes, God lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. 1 Timothy 6.16 
And the more we meditate on the holiness of God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. In comparison to his purity, everything else appears as dull and dirty. And as we follow Jesus, his light illuminates our way. And unbelievers see the holiness of God through our attitudes and actions. You see why it's important for us to put these things in our heart and mind? Because it's a witness. It's a witness for good or for not good. So it's a high calling that we have. Paul says, focus on the truth. Focus on the noble, the just, and the pure. But he also says, focus on things that are lovely. Oh, what does that mean? That could mean lots of different kinds of things, couldn't it? It could mean the beauty of the earth. It could mean the beauty of creation. It could mean that lovely thing that occurs in your heart and mind. When you see the birth of a child, when you see a hungry person fed, when you see a sick person being doctored or maybe an orphan cared for, those are lovely things instead of ugly things. And then finally, he says we ought to focus on things of good report. Good report. Every day, you hear good and bad things about individuals. And a lot of times, the bad things that you hear are only hearsay. Sometimes they're not even truth. But if you allow your mind to go there, you know what will happen? You'll begin to think evil thoughts about some other person. And some of it may not even be warranted. In your mind, you could be dragging a fellow believer, uh, a part of the bride of Christ, through the mud with little warrant for it if you're not careful. So we need to listen for things of good report and encourage others. You know, I was encouraged this past week. Someone texted me a message thanking me for making a quote in last week's message and when i got that i thought that someone really does listen to these messages <laughs> praise god someone does get something out of these messages and i thought about that quote and how much it meant to me and i was encouraged that it meant something good to someone else friends your words have the power to build up and they have the power to tear down Think about that. Are my words building people up or are they tearing people down? And if I'm going to be a little Christ walking in his image and seeking to walk after him, I don't know about you, but I want to try to build somebody up. And I want to think the best of them and give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what we're called to. Paul says, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, as I think back again about that old racehorse named Seabiscuit, I'm reminded of him out there in the field flollicking around. And then I remember him on that track running in all directions. But then I remember also the training that came. Got him on that track, got him, got him harnessed up, got those blinders on there, and they got him going in the right direction. And then you know what happened? 
he began to win. He ran the race to win. And friends, that's what we're called to as Christians. We're to focus our minds on the right things, the good things, the just things, the lovely things, the pure things, and start running our race to win. I don't know about you, but when I think about following Jesus, I want to run the race to win. For that's what he's called us to. Think of things that are good things above with a disciplined mind. Truly, as Paul says, take every thought captive. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And that is a good word. Father, we thank you for your word. It challenges us. It rattles us out of our own mindset. It changes our thoughts. It refocuses our thoughts to where they should be. Lord, help us. Help me as I seek to put you first. To stay focused on Jesus and let his truth flow from me. And Father, might that be our prayer. Might we truly be salt on the earth and have a preserving quality on society around us? Might we truly be light in a darkened world where people see what the possibilities are, where people can look at someone's life that was once sinful and with Jesus' help, overcome insurmountable odds. For those who suffered much loss to be able to overcome and have victory by setting their minds on Jesus. Father, I pray if there's someone here today who needs to trust Jesus that today will be the day. I can't think of no more good or positive or wonderful thing that could happen than that. Father, this is our prayer today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand to your feet for a moment as Brother Don uh, sings.
If you can, at all possible, come. Come this evening at 5.30 and listen to some of these uh, folks talk about what God has done in their marriages. And just see the uh, miraculous power of God uh, to make a marriage better. You know, really, I think this is a good thing uh, for our church. And I would love to see it continue to grow. And, and Brother Jason and Sissy have done a wonderful job. So y'all come, okay? Uh, and we will start that at 5.30, right? 5.30, okay. Well, if you'll join hands across the aisle, we have a going away song here. You may not be able to keep holding hands in this one. I don't know. We're going to sing oh, the chorus to victory in Jesus. <laughs> oh, victory. 